Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Dream Team Tapes Season 2, Kobe, LeBron, and the Redeem Team, is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. Diversion Podcasts. The players selected for the honor of representing the United States in the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games are Kobe Bryant. I've been looking forward to this for a while, you know, to be in this position now to be able to you know, represent our country, man. It's special, it's special. LeBron James. We look for the opportunity of rekindling that flame of being the best in the world. I guess the Redeem team is, is, is right. We the best team in the world. We the best team in the world. We, we put basketball, American basketball, where it's supposed to be, which is at the top. Hello and welcome to Kobe LeBron and the Redeem Team. I'm Jack McCallum. For 10 weeks of this podcast, myself, co-host J.A. Adande, and our technical wizard, Mark Francis, who's from Australia, and who kept wondering, why don't we have more about Andrew Bogut in this uh, podcast? Uh, we have uh, taken it hard to the hoop. We have eschewed the mid-range jump shot. And now, J.A. Adande, we find ourselves in the bonus. What do you think of that? In the bonus. It sounds better than what the old uh, Phoenix PA announcer used to say, in the penalty. In the bonus sounds so much more rewarding, doesn't it? It certainly does. And in podcast terms, in the bonus means you're doing extra work, but not exactly getting any more money for it. That's what in the bonus means in the podcast world. But fortunately, iHeartRadio, uh, because they are so generous, said to us, if you can find two interesting guests to join you on a panel, you will get an extra $100,000. They don't really know that yet, but I heard that was kind of a rumor. So tell us who is joining us today, J.A., on this bonus episode. Two very interesting guests. So maybe they'll double our bonus pay here. 
But one, both of them I worked with at ESPN in my days there. One, Zach Lowe, who I remember, Zach, remember we recorded that that uh, video feature thinking that the Warriors are about to wrap up the 2016 NBA Finals only to discover while we were recording it that, uh, no, Draymond Green was probably going to get suspended as he was eventually for, for Game 5. And so we looked a little close on that one. <laughs> I, I vividly, vividly remember having a holy SHIT moment during that is where the kids like, we're like, it's over. We're not coming back to Cleveland. It's oh, what? <laughs> and yeah. the other I've had the pleasure of uh, working games with on ESPN TV is Jeff Van Gundy. And of course you hear him with his commentary during NBA games. And of course you remember him as a coach in the NBA with the New York Knicks and the Houston Rockets. And you might not know that he has a team USA connection in that He's coached our World Cup qualifying teams uh, quite well with with rosters that, uh, let's say, were not the redeemed team exactly (laughs) and has successfully coached them and helped our squad uh, reach the World Cup qualifying thanks to his efforts. Jeff, welcome. And I want to ask you the difference between international basketball and NBA basketball, how you had to adjust, how players had to adjust, and how you can give us a sense for what it was like for players such as the 2008 Olympic team to make that adjustment? Well, the first thing you have to do is realize uh, same sport, different game. Uh, The level of physicality is much different. Uh, No illegal defense. Uh, The referees don't know you and don't care to know you. Um, You don't know why any call is made or not made. And one of the great things that Mike Krzyzewski uh, told me early, he said, just don't argue anything because you're never going to know why anything is called or not called. That had to be like a straitjacket for you, Jeff. Don't argue anything. (laughs) No, it it really was. And I think the other thing is um, when you're an outsider and and you're watching FIBA basketball, Olympic basketball, or even what we did, you have this idea that, you know, we should win every game. And And frankly, I had that naive thought like, we have the better players. Like we're going to win every time. It's not close. And if it is close, it's disappointment. When you get into that environment, you realize a 40 minute game of the physicality is different playing against zones. um, The players are outstanding. The coaches are even better than the players. And to get any win is usually a hard fought win. It gives you a renewed or it gave me a renewed, uh, appreciation for how great our players are to overcome no continuity, very little practice time relative to the competition and how good our coaches were to take on, you know, these huge pressures and come through time after time after time. Well, who did you have, who did you coach on those teams, Jeff? Because a lot of this international basketball goes on, it's like almost a secret society. You know, we understand the Olympics and everything, but every summer something is going on with USA basketball. So just briefly, who did you have and where were you playing? So we did it over a course of uh, three years. The most important person I had was a guy no one listening to the podcast will know, but his name was Sean Ford. We've actually gave some <laughs> shout outs to Sean because he's the man. <laughs> he's been a big part of the podcast. He is the most valuable. He is the singular most valuable person in USA basketball. And 
if I ever was, I, I, I came into billions of dollars and I purchased a team, he would be my first hire. He would run my team. I want him to write a book, Jeff. I want that. He's got that, that guy's got a book in him that would, that would be a bestseller. Well, he, he, he would be, have to be, he's part of the mafia though. He's not telling the real stories. That's the, but, but I'm going to say, so I had him, which made everything easier. Then we had a bunch of G league guys. One uh, summer, the best team we had, we had a bunch of fringe NBA guys. Our best player uh, is Derek White. He starts for San Antonio. Uh, We had Frank Mason that year, but we had for the core of it, we had G league players and they were an ever evolving roster. And the thing guys that, uh, like when I was coaching the Rockets, um, the G League was used as a form of punishment. If you don't do what I say, I'm sending you to Laredo to the G League and you may never make it back, right? Now the G League is used so well. And I have such appreciation for how good these guys are at their job. But because they're not, you know, they're right on the cusp. They could have all been on a roster, but because they're not, the financial differences between the last NBA player and the best G league player is so stark that it, you know, it was just so interesting. And I love these guys. Uh, I have such great appreciation for their talents, their perseverance, but most of all for who they are as people. I, I just, I couldn't have had a better experience coaching for those three years. Um, and no, like you said, Jack, no one knew the games were going on except us. And we care deeply. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm sending you to Laredo, by the way. Sounds like, sounds like a great country song, doesn't it? I'm sending you to Laredo, you know. In contrast to the G League, we're going to ask Mark Francis to play. Uh, we're going to ask him to play a tape here. It's Mike Krzyzewski, because one of the things we love to do on podcasts and all of talk radio, quote, is to uh, rehash hopeless hypotheticals. And uh, this is what we're going to do now. Mark, fire up Mike Krzyzewski talking about comparing the uh, dream team of 92 and the redeemed team that J.A. and I have been talking about for 10 episodes. The, the condition of the dream team in 92 would give the redeemed team an opportunity to win just because of what was happening with Magic. Larry is back. And he was done. He was he was done, and uh, at the level that he wanted to play. Stockton was hurt, so you know if they're all in their prime, there's no question that the, the dream team is there. But uh, the redeem team, we were all talented at that time. You know they were not sick. They they would have given them yeah a run a run for their money. I think, Zach, you were just starting. I think we had this conversation before, back in 92. And believe me, I know everybody's saying McCallum eventually has to turn the conversation to the dream team. But as I say, we like these hopeless hypotheticals. And J.A. and I have gone through in these 10 weeks exactly how good this redeemed team was, and even the team that followed it in 2012. But, Zach, you were just kind of starting to really follow the game, I believe, 90 two around there. So your memories of the uh, dream team. And do you think that these guys uh, could give them a run for their money? Yeah, I was 15 in the summer of 92. So I was coming, I had followed the league my whole life. My dad was a huge, is and was a huge NBA fan, but that, you know, your teenage years, that's when you really come of age as a sports fan. That's why, you know, Jay and I have talked about this. That's why Michael will always be 
like as much a God to me as a, like in a way that LeBron will, will never be. And that's not to say anything bad about LeBron. It's just how old I was at the time. So yeah, the dream team is, is you almost don't remember what, as a fan of that age, you almost don't remember. Like I remember that Larry Bird, could barely play, could barely move. I know that magic was coming off the uh, HIV and all that, but in my head, there's still Larry and magic. There's still like, when I think of the dream team, I'm like, Oh, it's Larry and magic. They were out there just, you know, toying with people. Um, yeah, of course the redeem team could give the dream team a game. I mean, if you have LeBron James on your team with all these other dudes, like you played, you put the redeem team in all their prime. And most of them were in their prime and the dream team all in their prime, the dream team in their prime is going to be favored and we'll win. Like if you had to play a hundred games, I'd probably guess the dream team would win 65, 70. I don't know, but like the redeem team's going to get some games. And, and Zach, you know, I, we, we think about you and I, because we're a little bit, we're younger than Michael. So we, we are, in part are enamored with the myth of Michael, but we've also seen the reality of Michael and Jeff, you went against Michael in full fury, full Michael mode. You saw it up close. And that's the thing is I just can't imagine if they're in a series that a team with Michael Jordan, even with an aging bird and an aging magic, I just can't imagine a team with Michael Jordan is going to lose. Yeah. I, you know, obviously great all time, all time, all time, great and a great competitor. But I think, you know, the difference, uh, one of the differences 26 years later, the competition that the redeem team faced was so much better as was the coaching. And I think, Sometimes because it's a more congenial period of time, like LeBron James is much more congenial. Like he tweets to everybody after they make a good (laughs) shot in a game, like he's just different than Jordan. But I I think sometimes we, we marginalize that like his competitiveness because he's so, so he's just so kind, you know, Jordan, even if he lived in today's, um, you know, uh, Arrow, he he wouldn't be tweeting, "Hey, good shot, Luca." Like he just wouldn't have done that in in my mind. Like I don't see that. So, but I, I think sometimes, like to go along with Zach, to think that a, a team led by Wade and uh, James couldn't beat any team, you know, I don't know. And in Kobe, MVP Kobe. Yeah, Kobe, like it's that's like preposterous of course they could and they had to face much better competition along the way well to coach's point though that's like what you were saying before too about uh i don't i don't remember what exactly you're talking about but the redeem team name itself has always made me feel a little funny because what do they need to be redeemed for like Argentina was amazing. Like, like, like the team, the team that won in 2004. So that's an all time great international team. There's a, this idea that there was like a shame in the, in the U S not winning, like maybe in the eighties and nineties, that would have been the case. But I, you know, the idea that I, I understand that there were some personality conflicts and some ugliness in the way that team USA lost in 2002, 2004, 2006, but they didn't, it's not like they lost to a bunch of jokesters. They lost to like a hall of fame, a group of hall of fame caliber guys, basically. Yeah, well, I was I would cover those games in 04, and uh, J.A. and I have talked about this on an episode, and there was a real, uh, and there was a lot of factors into it. We're not going to rehash them, but there was a real hatred of that team, and there was a lot of racism and a lot of expectations pulled into it. And at that point, Zach, in 2004, 
we understood who was covering it, but the world in general did not understand Manu Ginobili. Who the hell is he? You know, well, he's probably the best player in the Olympics. You know, so uh, it, it was different. And also, the one of the interesting things about this team, I'm sure Jeff remembers this, was that after they got together, they still didn't have Kobe, but they lost to Greece in 2006 in the World Championships, and you know, got pick and rolled to death. And it looked like another. Oh my God! Even with Shashevsky. We're not going to be able to uh, to pull this off. I never, we never could find out, Jay. Could we? Who gave them the name of the redeem team? We kept looking, and I, you know, it just sort of started appearing, you know, somewhere. I will say that they all bonded to it and grabbed onto it really quickly. We, we've gotten so bad at nicknames. That's one of the only few good either group nicknames or individual nicknames that we've had in the 21st century. And I, I blame us all. Jeff, you're excluded from this, but the sports writers here, Jack, Zach, myself, we're all part of this group that has just dropped the ball when it comes to bestowing nicknames on people. Or we let them bestow nicknames on themselves. But like D-Wade D is not a nickname. KD is not a nickname. <laughs> Black Mamba is a nickname, self-bestowed, but it is a nickname. Flash Brothers, to me, is the best one. Like, I think that's a good one. But I'm going to go back to what Jack was talking about, the 2006 game. I think that was the singular uh, biggest uh, game. If you hear Mike Krzyzewski in private talk about uh, an awakening of, you know, our pick and roll defense, um, you know, these guys, I can't even say the big strong kid from Greece's name, but like he's in the middle of the paint with no elevation and he's just bruising. I coached Spanoulis, uh, you know, so – I knew what a competitor he was, but, you know, now you look at Greece and now you're saying, well, you, you know, uh, Giannis and his brothers and, you know, um, they have other guys. And so now, you know, but back then you didn't know. And, um, you know, I just think it was an awakening for everybody with USA basketball that really has spurred them on to such great success. And I think, you know, it happened again for us in the World Cup. You know, we were injured a little bit. Um, we didn't necessarily play as well as we could have hoped in, against France. But, like, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. Like, I don't even – I don't care if we bring everybody that we want to next time in the Olympics. There will be a game of struggle, at least one. And I think as a country, as a basketball community, not only should we expect it, but – that's what makes it fun. If you if you have no doubt that you're going to win, what fun is the competition? I, I think it's going to be awesome. And uh, Greg Popovich is the right guy to try to bring us home. Well, think about the last world. Was it the last world championship or two? Like they all, like Jack said, they all get mixed up to me. But it was supposed to be this showdown between Serbia and Team USA because Serbia is loaded now. And Serbia's coach even said something like, well, if we – I think he was a little bit mistranslated, but something like, well, if they meet us in the gold medal game, may God help them or something. And then they both lost in the quarterfinals because the competition is so good. Well, I, you know, and, and so I was doing the scouting over there and I was at the Serbia-Argentina game and Serbia is loaded. Jokic comes off the bench. That's how crazy it is. They have like this roster full of centers and I don't know why they play them as little as they do, but whatever. Um, and Argentina with Compazzo, and Scola 
and Deck and all these guys, they just carved them up. And, you know, unfortunately for us, um, you know, we, we struggled with uh, France, Gobert and, and uh, Fournier and those guys. But, and then we played Serbia. Think about it, U.S. We were down at the end of the first quarter. And that was a back-to-back and we were in the consolation. We were down 31 to 6 or something at the end of one or in that. And like we came back and it was a very close, hard fought game at the end. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there that in one 40 minute game on a neutral court with referees who don't know our names, nor do they want to, it's, it's going to be hard. And also guys think about it to both your points. Let's say Nikola Jokic wins the MVP this year, you know, a strong candidate to do so. That'd be back to back foreign-born players who were the MVPs, going back to to Giannis from the the previous two. Uh, Rudy Gobert could very easily be the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Luka Doncic, the Rookie of the Year from a couple years ago. I'm sure there's an MVP at some point in his future. And so since LeBron is probably done with his Team USA days, we can't just assume that USA is going to have the best player on the court if, if they play against some of these teams anymore. I mean, it used to be a given, and now given the way the talent is uh, distributed around the globe, it's just not a given that the American players will either be the best team or will have the best player on the court. Well, and you, and to go to that point, you don't even know who's going to be available because the season goes to mid July or late July and the the, the Olympics start what the 27th of July, Yeah, July 21st, 21st or whatever it may be. So you may not, you know, you may be going with some guys who are in the finals who never practice with the Olympic team. I mean, this is unprecedented what's going to be tried to pull off. Either you're going to take people that aren't in the final round or the final two rounds of the NBA playoffs and, and get more practice time or to get maybe a little bit better play. Now, this could impact the other teams as well, right? I mean, um, it's going to be very interesting roster decisions that – Jerry Colangelo, Sean Ford, Greg Popovich have. Um, but it, like you said, it's not a given. It's not a given. Close. And to your point, that it could impact lots of other teams because the NBA is so international now. But the great point you made earlier is we typically, the USA typically has been at a continuity and chemistry disadvantage against some of the better international teams, guys that grow up playing together, play with club teams. They play every summer and we tend to throw these teams together. Maybe that's exacerbated this summer, but I mean, that's, that's something that we've had to overcome in all these competitions. Right. That was a big thing for the redeem team, but we're up. We're going to take a break for a minute and we'll be right back with Kobe LeBron and the redeem team. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are busted. Can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. So speaking of Kobe and LeBron, one of the things we became kind of fascinated with during this podcast was Kobe wasn't LeBron and D Wade and Chris Bosh and Mello, Carmelo Anthony. They kind of signed this little contract in 2005 that they would be around for three years. Kobe didn't really do that. He was kind of in and out. And he finally shows up in 2007. And it really became fascinating to me when we kind of ask most of the people, J.A., not everybody, and uh, about who, if you have time is running down, you're down by one or you're ahead, you got to win the game. LeBron is out there and Kobe is out there. Who are you going to give the ball to? And here is what uh, Mark Francis is going to uh, dial up Chris Bosh talking about it right now. Kobe and get out the way. <laughs> you know, I've never, uh, I, just to ask my own philosophy, you know, I've never, uh, I never want to make the game more complicated, um, than it needs to be and in that situation. You know, I just feel that, um, that's what he's always done. That's what Kobe does. So that was Chris Bosch's answer. That was most people's answer, J.A., except for Jason Kidd who tied himself into some, you know, rhetorical knots trying to exact. I think he wanted to say, I'd give it to LeBron. But then he thought, oh, shit, I don't know whether I want to say that. So, Zach Lowe, I don't know whether you had this figured out analytically, and then we're going to go to Jeff answering it. 
And J.A. has an interesting theory that brings Michael into it. But, Zach, who are you going to give that uh, ball to? You're the point guard. Well, look, look it, the first thing to say is I've just got – amazing choices all around me right it's not like one of these choices is wrong so let's just let's just say that but i'll say what jason kidd i guess didn't want to say is i'll give the ball to lebron because i i because lebron first of all his clutch stats i don't know why people just don't seem to recognize them i think that's changed now that i think people do i mean the buzzer beaters all this he's at the top of all these lists but lebron it, it can score himself or if Kobe's open, he's going to find Kobe. So I, I feel like I get the best of both worlds with LeBron and the other name. We should at least bring up Chris Paul, who statistically is one of the greatest clutch players and clutch scorers in modern basketball history. And, and all that gets magnified are that his teams have not gotten as far as people think they should have in the playoffs, but he's made a ton of big shots. And if you look at the numbers regular season, he's like, one of the great crunch time players are. He's not going to get the ball in this situation because LeBron's on the court no. and Kobe's on the court. But I just want to give CP a little love. Jeff, he sent the defending champion Spurs home coming off their last championship. Game seven, playing with a bad hamstring that would keep him out the next two games in the next round. He sent them home on, on a last second shot. I, I love him too because I, I mentioned this on the podcast. I did a story on last second shots. And I don't know why, but I went to New Orleans probably – because I wanted to go to New Orleans. And I talked to Chris Paul about it. That night, Chris Paul <laughs> makes the last second shot. I came into the locker room. He goes, yeah, you know, the story was made. That never works out. But uh, Coach Van Gundy, what do you do there? It's timeout. You got Kobe looking at you. You got LeBron looking at you. And also on this team, we won't get into this, D. Wade was unbelievable on this team also. D. Wade, sometimes the answer to Kobe or LeBron was D. Wade. But between those two, Jeff, what are you going to do? I, I would put the ball in LeBron's hands because he seemingly always creates um, a great shot. People having a, a second and third defender having to come to, you know, to him, and which opens up the second shot. But like Zach said, you can't go wrong – if you go to Wade, you go to Paul, you go to, you go to Bryant, you couldn't be wrong. And that, I think, you know, what's hard about that decision. If you have all those answers, trying to pick the one, the right one uh, in the course of a game, sitting down at a timeout, if, if you only have one choice, you know, you only have one of them on your team, it becomes easy. But as a coach, if you're ever in a close game like that to pick the right one, now that's hard because you know you'll be second-guessed if it doesn't work out. How would you pick between T-Mac and Yao in Houston? Uh, McGrady. That's it, just perimeter, yeah. the, well, the passing, the perimeter, ball yeah. handling. The perimeter, it, you know, uh, big guys even, you know, it just keeps getting worse. Uh, they get um, – they absolutely get – because the league doesn't want post-play, they allow anything to go. You can – club them you can grab hold punch kick nothing happens if you blow on Steph Curry you get a flagrant foul it's just it's not the player's fault it's just how they want the game to be so you're you can't go to a post player late like that can't be your go-to play it's too hard to execute and there's too many schemes and or physical contact allowed that takes you out Jeff, let me ask you if you think the ability to get to the line 
is a diminished factor now because of the three-pointers. So when Steph Curry won his MVP, he won an MVP, I forget what the numbers were, but we hadn't seen an MVP get to the line as infrequently as Steph Curry had for a long time because obviously shooting all those three-pointers, you're not going to get to the line very much. And I used to say the value of a superstar in the playoffs was that he was going to get the calls. And Steph Curry changed all that. So obviously we've seen James Harden really rely on on drawing fouls to, to be a big part of his arsenal. But in your mind, in playoff basketball now, is getting foul calls as important as it used to be with teams shooting so many threes? Yes. You know, Curry's an outlier in every sense of the way. I was talking to Jack before we went on. Like, this guy's better at 33 than he was at 28. It's it's truly amazing how he plays. And no one else can play like that. They try to play like that, but, like, you can't play – as efficiently as he does, you're not as good with the ball and without the ball and in the level uh, conditioning level that he's in. So he's amazing, but I do still think not only individual free throws, but team free throws, because it has, it's not just about the offense, J.A. It's about getting to the line and then setting your defense and not having to play against transition offense, which is, you know, that's what Giannis does for the Bucks and, Harden did for Houston and now for, you know, Brooklyn. It It's such a weapon at both ends of the floor, you know, getting easy points and also being able to prevent those four on threes and five on fours uh, that ultimately lead to easy baskets. Or or pull up threes that, that go in probably or more likely now. But Curry is, <laughs> we're getting off on a tangent here, but he – he is a revolutionary to me he changed the game more than you know Michael or LeBron or Magic was a guy well he's going to change the game he got a 6 foot 9 inch point guard well nobody came along <laughs> like him he didn't you know he remained sort of uh you know uh, alone but curry now uh, has changed it so much but you know one of the failings of it is everybody's trying to play like him and nobody is that good you know, nobody is that accurate, you know? And uh, I, I just think he he's probably more revolutionary than anybody since Bill Russell, who changed, you know, kind of changed the idea that you could go from defense to offense. But I don't know. Any, is that too strong of a opinion? Anybody, Zach? I remember, I think one of the most underrated playoff series of the last 20 years was 2013 Spurs Warriors in the second round of the playoffs. It was before the Warriors were the Warriors. They had upset the Nuggets in the first round and they split in San Antonio on the road. They, they should have won game one. They were up big in game one. Yeah. Should have won game one. It was a miracle comeback by the Spurs. And it was this realization that here are the Spurs for 20 years, the best or second or third best defensive team in the league every year. With Tim Duncan, who I'm curious to talk about Tim Duncan. It's, it's, his Team USA resume is so interesting to me that it, he just never really did anything internationally. He hated it. He was in Greece. I've never seen anybody wanted to get out of Athens so bad. Uh, you know. But you could see the Spurs with Steph Curry taking these off-the-dribble threes on pick and roll. You could see the Spurs, and, you could, you, and through the Spurs, the sort of collective NBA community sort of realizing at the same time, oh, my God. This is this is a glitch in the system. This carries over into the playoffs. 
this guy is a problem that we have not encountered before. And the Spurs, I, I, I don't know if they get out of that series. If I think Bogut and got hurt in that series and the Warriors were kind of limping along by this Curry, maybe even sprained an ankle or something at some point. But like that was a brutal series for the Spurs um, who were a championship caliber team. And obviously, and that was, that's the one I remember. That was like the revolution happening in real time. Yeah. The off the dribble three, which, you know, everything was catch and shoot threes. You know, I, I, I hearken back uh, showing my age to Mark Price, you know, Mark Price shot that. Right. And so if he would have been given that same freedom, like he would have been the problem 20 years, 30 years earlier, but I think to give that type of freedom and that freedom given to Curry has led to a different um, idea of what a good shot is. Uh, it's, it's truly amazing. The skill level, you look at what Kyrie Irving's doing this year. Like when he plays like that freedom he has, like it's, it's a joke how good he is. It's just, he's just ridiculously good. But I think it all, that whole thing started with Curry. I think, you know, Mike D'Antoni downsizing and playing, you know, fives at fours, fours at threes, and, and so on. And Steph Curry's, the freedom given to him, uh, and then his skill level to back it up. Those two things stand out to me to bring us to the game that we have today. Yeah, and, and what it did to the defenses. So, uh- the series Zach referenced that first round series that the Warriors played against Denver that year. I, I just remember seeing a play and I, I screen grabbed it because the war, the Nuggets defenders came out to double team Steph Curry, like out by near half court. And so they were just seeding that free throw line area. Jeff, you know, that they used to be such valuable territory for the defense and they just gave it up to go double team Steph Curry way away from the ball. And it became even more extreme in the bubble last year when Dame Lillard was just going absolutely bonkers. And at one point, he was getting double teamed in the backcourt. It, it wasn't a full-court press. This was a double team of Damian Lillard in the backcourt because they didn't even want him let, let him let him get to half court because they were afraid he'd shoot if he got to half court uncontested. Well, and, and, and even in the bubble last year, you know, Houston wins game one against the Lakers. And the Lakers have been the best defensive team in the uh, – in the league all year, pretty decisively. And they said, we can't handle hard. We we're doubling him late. And, you know, and they just were going to make other guys make plays like throughout the course of the game. And I think, you know, these guys are so good. Plus the rules are so different. No hand check. Um, you know, they've become such good uh, foul seekers, contact seekers, um, that I think you're going to see more of that in, in, in the playoffs. If, if you have Steph Curry, right. And like you have all these guys he's playing with right now, you can't tolerate him. He can win a series by himself. He is literally that good. And Kendrick Perkins said something interesting the other day. He said, he's a top, when he retires, he's a top 10 player of all time. And I sat there and I thought, I'm not sure about that, but I know this. He is an absolute handful. Like, I, I, and people, like, I always love looking at his rebounding. He has more rebounds per game on a lot of nights than he has assists. Like, this guy is, he's not a one dimensional, like, just scorer. Like, I, I think 
because he is so great a scorer, he doesn't get uh, nearly enough credit for all the other things he does so exceptionally well. And as and a superior screener, just like John Stockton with that slight body. Yeah, he gets and he you know, Steph gets to the basket too. I mean, he's not he's not dunking. But we're going to take a break for a minute, and we'll be right back with Kobe, LeBron, and the Redeem Team. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. You know, it's interesting, guys. We we're talking about catch and shoot, and I want to bring this a little bit to Jason Kidd. There was a moment uh, that Jason was talking about. You know, a lot of the early stuff with when Kobe got there was Kobe we don't exactly need the Laker Kobe. You know, we don't need you. We don't need you firing up. And Jason went to him at one point and says, do you ever catch and shoot? 
Like, do you ever come off a screen, curl off a screen? He may do that, and Kobe goes, oh, this isn't good enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dance around a little bit. But it brought me back, uh, and Jeff would be the only one old enough to remember this and probably not even quite. But when I was doing this book about Jerry West was involved in it, somebody had a, a 160 Jerry West plays. He never caught and shot. He got the ball, dribble, 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 back down, back down, back down. Once in a while, he took a couple quick dribbles, you know, went right up to the right. But it's interesting, the difference, what you said with Curry was shooting the quick three off the dribble. I mean, nobody did that. And I talked about Jason Kidd on this team, and I want to bring the uh, two things here, Jeff. Number one, the importance of a, a veteran leader and the importance of culture that sports writers, Zach, J.A., and I have heard, oh, my God, uh, culture is uh, so important. And I want to go back to those two points. So Jay Kidd uh, was a surprise on this team. First of all, number one, as J.A. and I, re- uh, J.A. remembered, Jerry Colangelo had traded his ass at one point, at one point you know, from Phoenix, and he wasn't happy. They, they were not happy with each other. Jerry Colangelo called him up as the head of USA Basketball then and said, hey, we want you to play. Jay Kidd said, you know, you're, you're kidding me. He thought he was, he, he literally thought it was a joke. Jerry had to tell him a couple times. And I was surprised when we talked to Carmelo, Chris Bosh, Darren Williams, not to mention Shisesky, Bayheim, Mike D'Antoni, how important Jay Kidd was, uh, that veteran leader, and the other thing was that Mike had a starting lineup that he started every game. And it was uh, Jay Kidd, Dwight Howard, Kobe, LeBron, and Carmelo. And at the end of the game, Zach's boy, Chris Paul, was liable to be in there. And Bosch was going to be in there. Jay Kidd played 13 minutes. He took, this is my favorite stat. What did I say, uh, Jay? He took seven or eight shots. I think it was seven shots. Yeah. He, he, I'm looking at it now. It's got to be seven because he averaged 0.9 field goal attempts per game. <laughs> yeah. And he, ma- I think he made five of them or six of them or something. So uh, I, I brought up a couple points here. But first of all, uh, Zach, how many times have you heard about culture? And I never really exactly believed it till I spent that season with the Suns and saw how important you know, that really is. So just reflect on that. And then Jeff obviously has been a guy who's been charged with building culture and how important it is. I, I, I still think it matters. I do think it matters. And Jeff will tell you it all emanates for, it has to emanate from your best player, right? I mean, the best player has to set the tone for everything, but you know, there, there has become this sort of fetish fetishization. I can't say that word of, of culture and that like without talent, Culture is nice. I mean, it's nice to have hardworking players and a and a and a belief system that you stick to as a franchise. But like the Nets had an incredible culture, right? Like they they had these plucky overachievers. They believed in sports science. They played a certain way, and then they threw all of it away. Then they didn't throw their culture away, but all, all the people that had come up in that culture and had come to symbolize it are gone now, except for Joe Harris, basically. And in came superstar talent, and the culture is clearly still fine because they're have this best or second best record in the East, depending on when you check the standings, but you know, 
the the Nets the, like talent is still talent. You can't. And then the the other thing with culture is, does it get bad when you start losing, or do you start losing because the culture is bad? That's the one that's always unclear to me because you know we we tend to, and Jeff and I have talked about this on podcasts before. We tend to hear about and this happened with Houston and Harden. All of these issues about the culture was bad. The Harden was this and that. Only after he's out the door. And the damage has been done supposedly, but like at the time you're winning, no one's really, you're, you're not hearing a lot about it. If I hear the term culture one more time, I'm going to puke. I am so sick of that term because it's so nebulous. You don't even know what it means. And so to me, it goes to chemistry, right? Like that used to be the term chemistry and chemistry to me was two things, how willing you are to pass and how hard you're willing to play. That allows you to maximize your talent. But you, going back to Zach, if you want to win at all, you're going to sacrifice a little bit on both of those to get elite talent if you have to. Now, hopefully you don't have to sacrifice too much or you may not be able to beat the other elite talent. But what what Brooklyn did, like, they don't have the same culture. Come on. They're not hardworking, overachieving you know, root for the underdog. They're the behemoth with the most talent in the league. And like, they're going to win. And it's not, it's, it's not going to be a overachieving story. It's going to be an achievement of talent. And they were able to accumulate three talents that are unguardable all in their own way, if they're to win it. So, um, but Jack, getting back, you asked something about kid about veteran leadership. I think veteran leadership is only like, I think we romanticize it in this way. If you can't still play, you have very little clout. Like the thing about Jason Kidd, he can play. He could still play at that point. And for him to have the ability to walk up to Kobe and say, hey, Kobe, do you ever take a shot where you just catch and shoot? Like to have the basketball courage to walk up to uh a mythologized player and be that direct. I, those other guys were all really good. I guarantee you they at that time weren't walking up to Kobe Bryant and asking that direct of a question, even if they had in their own mind that same thought. So, Well, well Jeff, Le, Le, LeBron, LeBron went to Mike Krzyzewski and said, can you talk to Kobe about it? And then Mike was like, gulp. <laughs> but you're right. Jason Kidd did it directly, but even someone with LeBron stature had to go through Coach K. No, it, it, but it also, like, it's your personality. Like, like, Kidd has one of the great accomplishments of all time in the NBA. Taking the woeful Nets to two straight finals. No one's ever going to tell me in my time in the NBA, that's not one of the greatest accomplishments. And he was a, a, a force of nature, um, like defensively, rebounding, pushing, but also with his directness. I, I, I have great admiration for him. Yeah, that's one of the things they really talked about, Jay. I would say all the guys, they all mentioned Jay, Jay Kidd, you know, everybody. Yeah, even playing just a few minutes a game, and he still had such an impact. So that's it for part one for our panel discussion. J.A. and I were joined by Zach Lowe and Jeff Van Gundy. We'll be back for part two next week. The Dream Team Tapes Season 2. Kobe, LeBron, and the Redeem Team 
is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This season is written and hosted by me, Jack McCallum, and J.A. Adonde. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcasts and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Our editorial director is John Tuttle, supervising producer Brian Murphy, legal producer Freddie Overstegen, editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Diversion Podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 